born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We've been doing some studies in the book of Acts. It's a wonderful book. A lot of wonderful illustrations. One story after another. And stories, well, everybody loves stories. Especially if the story ends, well, ends happily. Well, you can say that most of these stories, they end happily ever after. Because it's always about having eternal life and be certain of going to heaven. These are soul-winning stories. Stories about God's men obeying the Lord and what happened. So as you read through the book of Acts, you'll find a lot of these wonderful stories. So when God told him to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, I don't know if they really understood what he was talking about at the time. But as we finish up with chapter 9, you know that he's already done preached in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. So um, what's left? The uttermost parts of the world. Now you've got to go to those Gentiles. Most of you in this room are a Gentile. It means you're not Jew. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. But God had to do a work in this man's life. Because he was kind of like a guy named uh, Jonah. You ever heard of Jonah? Remember Jonah also, um, he went to Joppa. And he was going to get into a ship going to Tarsus. Because he was running from the Lord. And I believe that if God had not intervened by a special vision designed with Peter in mind, Peter might have took that same ship. And who knows what would have transpired. But anyway, as you look there in chapter 10 of the book of Acts, it says in verse 1, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Now Caesarea was a place that was built, it's a city, built by Herod the Great, And uh, it was in honor of Augustus Caesar. I've been there six times, I believe it is. And uh, it's uh, some remnants you can still see out into the water. So it was uh, on the coast there of Mediterranean Sea. And uh, at one time it was a thriving metropolis. And uh, a place where there was a lot of Roman aqueducts and things like that. And you can still see some of the streets and some of the, the aqueducts and the Colosseums and It's a wonderful place to go and to see. But Cornelius was of the Roman band, as it says here, a centurion of a band called the Italian band. But in Rome, Italy, 
Well, there was uh, about a hundred men that he probably was in charge of. Been a centurion. And uh, he uh, was a religious man. He had sought to live according to the light that he had. You know, some people, they have a lot of light and some people don't have as much. It means a lot of truth. To know what to do. So he was a religious man. If you look there in verse 2, he says he was a devout man. One that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. So sometimes the question comes up is, does God hear the prayer of a lost man? I've had a lot of people ask me that. Does God hear the prayers of the lost man? Well, it says here that this man prayed to God all the time. And the Bible says that God heard his prayer. See there in verse 4, when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. So yes, God saw the good works that this man had done, and God heard the prayers that he had prayed. So maybe this was already a saved man. But I want you to take very quickly and look there in chapter 11. Chapter 11 in verse 14, as the Apostle Peter later on describes the incident, what took place. In verse 14 it says, Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. So it's evident they weren't yet saved, but they were religious. Now think for a moment. It was the religious people that Jesus Christ had his problems with when he came. They knew the law. They believed in God. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in spirits. They believed in miracles. The Bible says that about the Pharisees. But they were lost. So can it be true that maybe there's a possibility that today people can go to church and still be lost? Give money? Still be lost. Pray. Still be lost. Give alms for the poor. And still be lost. Well, according to the Bible, yes to all of the above. But sometimes people don't want to go to certain individuals. And God had to let Peter have a vision in order to get him to see God loves the Gentiles, not just the Jew. I mean, God didn't want there to be, here's a Jerusalem church just for the Jews. And over here we have a church just for the Gentiles. God wanted to be one body. And he broke down that middle wall of partition so that Jews and Gentiles could all be together in one body. One body of believers. Well, that's what God wanted. And what God wants, God ought to get. I told you last time I went to a place called... Dora Lake, Minnesota. And while I was there, we had a lot of people trust Christ as Savior. I really, at the time, didn't understand what all was going on because I would go up there and I'd preach and then I'd leave. I'd preach and then I'd leave. And so um, that was in 1968 and 69. But after I had left and they finally got the church going and they would have different individuals come up there. And so one year... They asked Dr. Richard Seymour, who was one of the professors at Florida Bible College. He put out a little digest called the Soul Winner's Digest. And uh, this is one of them right here. 
Soul Winner's Digest. The date on it is summer 1970. But in this little story, he tells about a boy named Dot. And he wrote a story in here, and I want to read to you the story. It's going to be in the book that I'm going to be putting together on the Door Lake story. But just listen to this story and see if there's anything in this little story that we can relate to this story about what's going on in the life of Peter and Cornelius. And maybe somebody that's sitting here feels the same way. Beautiful Minnesota, where this true story actually occurred. Perhaps you've heard of the country western hit song entitled A Boy Named Sue. Well, this is a true story about a boy named Dot. I heard of Dot in the summer of 1969 when I was in northern Minnesota for a week of meetings. This is what I learned. When Dot was born, his mother wanted a daughter, so much that she named him Dorothy. And as a young boy from infancy on, she dressed him as she would a little girl. As a result, he was often made fun of as a young child and became confused about his real place in life. He grew to be a very suspicious of and later even afraid of all women. As he got older, as is customary in northern Minnesota, he became a lumberjack. However, he always kept and maintained this fear of women. He lived alone. In fact, he was so much of a loner that rumors began to spread around the community about him being a hermit and somewhat weird. Of course, few people did anything in a positive way to find out why Dot behaved the way he did, or why he preferred to live alone, or why he did not like female companionship. Says when I arrived in northern Minnesota last summer, there was a whole group of newly saved people, mostly young married couples, who were really hungry to know God's Word. The second day I was told there was one of the men, Chan Adams, he's the one I led to the Lord, briefly told me about Dot and asked if I would be willing to go and visit him. I, of course, assured Chan that I would be delighted. I was told that Dot lived in a little shack located on property that belonged to a church, and that he didn't like people to come around. However, Chan assured me that if I dressed in my dirtiest clothes and went with him, that maybe Dot would let me talk to him. See, Chan had just trusted the Lord as his Savior. And these people were talking to anybody and everybody. But there were some people they were afraid to talk to. But Dr. Seymour, uh, he's game for anything. He was a great soul winner. So we made an appointment for the following afternoon. And at the appointed time, we drove to the property where Dot's cabin was located. His cabin turned out to be a one-room shack. No bigger than six or seven feet square. He had lived in this same shack for about 20 years. From the roadway, we walked in knee-high grass, about 50 to 75 yards. And as we approached the shack, Chan began to call out for Dot. No one answered. Chan told me that every time he had ever visited Dot, he always found him in the shack, usually lying on his side on his rickety old cot. This day, however, he wasn't there. As Chen continued to call, we finally heard a reply from a pathway that led off into the woods. 
It was Dot. We approached him, and Chen told him that I was a good friend, and I wanted to have just a word with him. I stood there looking at a very old man who was bent with age, whose hands shook continuously and who had little or no expression on his face. I didn't have to be told that here was a man who had known a great deal of sorrow in his life. I shared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with Dot as we stood on that pathway halfway between his shack and the woods. As he listened, he leaned heavily upon a piece of old board that he used for a cane. I especially emphasized that God loved him just the way he was. I told him that Christ died to pay for sinners, that he loved sinners, and that if he would only trust in this wonderful Savior, he would receive eternal life as God's free love gift to him. Doing most of my explanation of the gospel, Dot just stared kind of down at the ground. When I got through, I reemphasized again how God loved him just the way he was. I'll never forget his reply. He stopped staring at the ground. He looked up at me and said, If that's true, then things sure have changed. You see, Dot had always heard that in order to be saved or to go to heaven, he had to stop his drinking and smoking and cursing and while living or Christ couldn't save him. The tragedy is that he had never heard that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the chief. As we stood on the path, I explained again that although Dot had always heard that he had to stop his sinning before Christ could save him, the Bible said that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I asked Dot if what I said made sense to him, and he said, yes, it did. Then I told him, or asked him, Dot, will you right now, the best you know how, trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? He didn't say anything. So I went on to say, instead of asking, will you trust Christ as your Savior, let me put it this way. Do you trust him? After all, there's no one else you really can trust. Dot shook his head and kind of mumbled under his breath that he would. I put my hand on his shoulder, had a few more words of encouragement for him. And just before we left, I asked him the following question. Dot, have you ever heard this before, what I've been telling you? That God loves you and Christ died and paid for all of your sins. And that you could have eternal life just by trusting him. Dot stared at the ground again and then replied, No, I haven't. Not until Chan here told me about it just the other day. I asked him how many years young he was, and he told me he thought he was 76. And he says he was a real old man. <laughs> Must be a misprint here. That took place in July 1969. In September, Dot passed away. But I don't think I'll ever forget the lesson that I learned from my brief meeting with Dot. Think about this for a moment. Here was a man who lived in a so-called Christian community all his life. Was not only ignored by that community, but shunned by it. Here was a man who lived in a shack on church property for over 20 years and never heard the real gospel during that time. Here was a man who had to live to be 76 years old before hearing about God's wonderful plan of salvation for the first time. And that by a relatively new convert. Dear Christian reader, think for a moment. 
Is there someone in your neighborhood, your block, in your apartment house, who you think may not know Christ as their Savior? Perhaps they're not quite with it. Perhaps they're a little bit old or odd. Perhaps they're not on quite the same economic strata you are. But don't forget, there's one for whom Christ died. They are precious in His sight. I think if the genuine believers in Christ had grasped and lived in the light of this truth a long time ago, we could have avoided many of the problems we are now facing. As children, we often sing the little chorus that says, Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. But often our lives do not show that we really mean the words we sing. We pick and choose the people that we'll witness to. We decide which kind of people are worthy of our time or our effort. Our brilliance. What a tragedy. Perhaps you don't know any man named Dot. But I'm sure you know some people whom you have been avoiding or ignoring or just tolerating. Why not begin praying for them and ask God to break your heart to lead you to go speak to that one about their own personal salvation. You see, there's no such thing in the biblical sense of the word as a burden for souls without a burden for a soul. Start where you are to reach people. You start now. Perhaps start with those people whom others would ignore. But anyway, this is one of the articles that will be in my book. As you read here in the book of Acts in chapter 10, I want you to notice there in verse 3, Cornelius had a vision. Evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in to him, saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid. And he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and come for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. In spite of everything, God did not use angels to preach the gospel here. God has given that message to redeemed men, to you and I, and God wants to use us. Now, as you begin to go through this transition period from the law to the dispensation of grace, and you see an overlapping of a fading out of certain miracles and beginning of revelation of the Word of God, you find out that there's some things that God does concerning the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and it says, And ye shall be witnesses into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the earth. And He is the power that you and I need to do the job. Now the Holy Spirit is to lead us as we witness, to lead us as we go. Now there are times when the Holy Spirit may press upon you a particular thing, a particular purpose, a person, a place to go and something to do specifically. But those times will be rare Concerning individual leading. But I do believe that soul winning is a command of God. We're commanded by the Lord to do this. And so he says in verse 7, And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, 
he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. When he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So God was going to use Peter to bring the gospel to the household of Cornelius. Now, they were people who were searching for truth. They wanted to know the light. They were seeking to be obedient to the light that they already had. But it was not enough. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. A man, just because he's religious, and there's a lot of religious people in the world, but religion cannot save. We often say that religion comes from two Latin words, re and legio, meaning to bind back. And there's people who are trying to bind themselves back to God by their religion. And God says, that will not work. It's not the righteousness that we send up. It's the righteousness He sent down. He wants us to accept His righteousness, not God accept our righteousness. There is a by-faith righteousness, and there is a self-righteousness. And God says, your righteousness are as filthy rags. You cannot save yourself. You'll never be good enough. So you need a Savior. So Jesus Christ came into the world, died on the cross, paid for our sins, and said that if we would believe He did it for us, He would give us as the free gift of everlasting life. Now remember, Peter being a Jew. And in those days, they would go up on the rooftop for some quiet, comfort, solitude, and pray. In verse 9, on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, does God know that those guys are on the way? Of course he does. God sent them. There was a man who wanted to know the truth. Peter was supposed to be someone that God could use to tell the truth. But there evidently was something that was going to be in his life that God's going to have to deal with. Because sometimes we just don't want to do it. We don't want to go. But he makes a statement here in verse 10. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So even being hungry can be of the Lord. Are you hungry this morning? Could be of the Lord. And he made this statement in verse 11. And saw heaven opened. A certain vessel descending unto him, and it had a, like a great sheet, knit at four corners, and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, eat. Hey, you hungry? Look at all this I got for you. Why wouldn't Peter do this? Because on that sheet was some animals and some things that... He wasn't supposed to eat because he was a Jew. There's things under the law that they weren't allowed to eat. And they were clean and there's unclean. And there's certain animals that were used for sacrifice and others could not be. So Peter had a problem. He says, and it's hard to understand, how can you say, Lord, not so. Lord means he's the Lord. He's the master. He's the boss. No, Lord. <laughs> Like a contradiction. But in verse 14, Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. In other words, food that's not fit for a Jew to eat, I do not eat. And I'm still the same way. And he says in verse 15, And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call thou not common. 
This was done three times, thrice. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, Peter was wondering in his mind, what in the world was that about? He doubted in his mind, what did it mean? He was fixing to get a lesson in what it meant. You see, a Jew didn't go to a Gentile's house, and a Gentile didn't go into a Jew's home. You just don't do that. Don't you understand even half the problem that was in Samaria because they were half-breeds. Jews that had married Gentiles, and in Samaria, Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. And he said to the woman at the well, he says, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. She says, You're a Jew. Why askest thou drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you realize whosoever really means whosoever? Preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature, every person. You see, in our mind sometimes we think some people just don't deserve to be saved. And others deserve it. But the truth of the matter is, nobody deserves to go to heaven. You and I are not any better than anybody else. We don't deserve to hear the gospel 20 times when there's people that's never heard it once. So, um, God's going to have to do a work. So in verse 17, now... While Peter doubted in himself what this vision, which he had seen, should mean. Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and stood before the gate, called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I sent them. Now, here's a time where Peter has got to just swallow his pride and do what God says to do. Just obey the Lord. And many times in your life, you may not know how things are going to work out or why you have to go through certain things. But see, God is behind the scene working. Does God know about Cornelius and what was going on in his mind? Did God know about his family that wanted to know the truth? Did God know that there was a man who knew the truth? And that God had caused him to have a vision? Cornelius? And that God sent these three people to a certain place, certain town, a certain house? Because God had a certain thing he wanted to get done. See, God can bring people together in the strangest ways. As I look back over my life, and I was mentioning this, it's, it's just been one wild ride. What a ride. It has been wonderful. Because it's just, you don't know what's going to happen next. That's what makes it so exciting. Does God have the freedom to use you any way he wants? Or would you fight and argue with God? Can God use you? Is he free? Or do you hold him back? Say, God, I can't do that, and I won't do that, and I'm not going here. Or use it, Lord, whatever you want me to do. Whatever you want me to do. Wherever you want me to go. When it comes to money and giving and things like that, whatever you want me to do, Lord, whatever you want me to do. All I want people to do is what God wants you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Whatever God wants you to do. How I want you to live is the way God wants you to live. Nothing more, nothing less. I want you to serve Him. I am not your boss. 
I am not God. I am not the Holy Spirit. There is a God and there is a Holy Spirit. But does the Holy Spirit ever prick your heart? Does he ever convict you of anything? Or have you hardened your heart to where the Holy Spirit, you don't sense any Spirit of God in your life? Where like the Lord never talks to you, never moves you, never, you don't sense anything. Or you're so cold and dead and hardened that God will have to just break you because you refuse to yield to Him. That's between you and Him. Telling someone how to go to heaven is the greatest thing we can do in this life. To prepare you, Pastor Yankee Arnold is offering you his book, Gospel Driven Man, absolutely free. Gospel Driven Man explains in simple steps how to successfully share the gospel. To get your free copy of Gospel Driven Man, write to Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Or email Yankee Arnold at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed. Caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.